explain. Naftora speaks about the words of Hashem Yecheskel about the unity of the Jewish people. At that time, there were two groups. There was Yehuda and Yosef, two separate kingdoms. Each of them had their own king. And they fought with each other. They were against each other. They, they didn't get along. So logically, there was no way they could unite. But Naftor, it says, God told Yecheskel, take one piece of wood and write, this should be for Yehuda. And another piece of wood and write, this should be for Yosef, Ephraim. And put them together, and they'll become one piece of wood. And the Navi continues and says that uh, there will no longer be a separation between two kingdoms, as it was until that point, until uh, Mashiach comes. Mashiach will come, there'll be one kingdom, and it will not be divided anymore. The question is like this, and you need to understand, why is this prophecy different than all the prophecies? All the prophecies, the prophet is commanded to tell his prophecy immediately to Jewish people. But in this prophecy, the Torah says, when people will ask you, when people will ask you why are you putting the pieces of wood together, then you should tell them the meaning of the prophecy. So how come it doesn't say, tell the Jewish people the prophecy? Instead it says, if people will ask you why are you taking these pieces of wood and putting them together, then tell them what, the, what this means. Parenthetically, this commandment, take for yourself this piece of wood, we find a similar thing in other prophecies, that Hashem told the prophet to do something to bring a prophecy down. In order that the prophecy should have some connection to the physical, so Hashem asked the prophet many, in many instances to do something physical. It's possible that a prophecy is only manifest in some spiritual realm without it having an impact on this physical world. And that's the purpose of the prophet doing something in order that the prophecy should have some connection to the physical, and through this that will ensure the prophecy will, will continue, will actually be manifest and happen. We find a similar thing in God's promise to Yaakov. God promised Yaakov, I will protect you. And Yaakov was still afraid that God would not protect him. And the uh, Yaakov said that um, maybe my sins will prevent this, prof- this promise of Hashem from happening. So too, here, it's not that God's promise isn't true, God forbid, um, it's, but it's pro- possible that God's promise could stay in some spiritual realm, that it won't be manifest in the physical world. That's why Yaakov is afraid. Um, and that's a point of God telling Yechezkel to take these two pieces of wood and putting them together to, to have some connection to the physical world. But it doesn't explain why he, could, he should only tell the prophecy to the Jewish people once they ask. This is uh, especially noticeable in, the, in another prophecy of Yechezkel about the Tenth of Tavis, which comes out next week. Um, it says in the Torah that uh, when God promised, when God told Yechezkel, um, "I'm going to take away from you that, that which is beloved, that which is beloved to your eyes, and you should not eulogize, you should not cry, and do what I've told you." God said to Yechezkel, "Tell the Jewish people." 
I'm going to uh, desecrate my, sa- my sanctuary, the, that which is beloved to your eyes. And the, um, there the prophet also, also says, there, Hashem tells him, also, when the Jewish people ask you, what is this about, then you should tell this to them. So the, um, the question, um, what are you doing and what does this mean, um, is about the prophecy that Hashem is giving that affects all the Jewish, all the Jewish people. It's not something that is just personal to Yechezkel. Yechezkel is a Kayin. He's not from the tribe of Yehuda. He's not from the tribe of Ephraim. And there, on the other hand, there were Kayin that lived both in the kingdom of Yehuda and the kingdom of Ephraim. So the prophecy to Yechezkel was something that was affecting all the Jewish people. And therefore the question the Jewish people have, what are you trying to tell us with this? They understood that this is something that, that affects them. But the fact that Yechezkel did not do, did not uh, mourn, that's something personal to Yechezkel. God tells Yechezkel, do not mourn, do not cry. That's something personal to him. But the questions Jewish people have, how come you are not mourning? Um, that's something that, that, that the, the question Jewish people have is about Yechezkel's personal conduct. It's not something which is relevant to them. In Yechezkel's second prophecy, where Hashem tells them, don't mourn about the destruction of Yisrael, don't, don't mourn about this prophecy I'm telling you, about the, the temple being destroyed. In that prophecy, God says, do not mourn. So there the Jewish people could ask, why aren't you mourning? But their question is not about them, the question is about him. The Torah says that you should be concerned about other people's behavior. We're obligated to, to, um, to rebuke others, to tell others when they're not acting the way they're supposed to. So since they have a question about his behavior, they have a right to ask, they're supposed to ask. But, um, but, the, but the words the Jewish people use are, Ma'elilanu, what does that do with us? How do Jewish people know that what Yechezkel is doing has relevance to them? When Hashem told Yechezkel, do not mourn, the Jewish people said, what are you doing, and what does that do with us? They understood it wasn't just something personal to Yechezkel. It was something that affected them. And regarding the first prophecy, uh, God told Yechezkel, God told Yechezkel, the Jewish people will ask you, what is this about? God prophesied, God told Yechezkel, they're going to ask you about the two pieces of wood, they're going to ask you, what does it mean? Although we have free will, um, so how is, does Hashem come, say this is going to happen, they're going to ask? The answer is, is that Hashem doesn't say everyone's going to ask. Hashem says there will be those that ask. So at least one Jew would ask. But who's going to ask? That depends upon the free will of the Jewish people. Like we find in the Torah about the prophecy of the, of the slavery in Egypt, God says that the Egyptians will enslave you. So the Rambam asks, so doesn't that, isn't Hashem forcing the Egyptians to enslave us? The Rambam answers that um, every Egyptian has a free will to do what he wants. The prophecy is only that there will be a slavery in Egypt, but not that every individual Egyptian will do this. So that's in regards to the first prophecy. Now Hashem says that they will tell you but however, the prophecy of the tent of Tavis, the prophecy about the destruction of the Beis Amigdash and the siege around Jerusalem, it doesn't say that the Jewish people will ask, but the Jewish people ask by themselves. 
So, so we see more of an emphasis on something that wasn't that God said they're going to ask, but something they asked by themselves. Even though it's his personal conduct, it's who he was doing. He wasn't mourning about this prophecy. Yet it was their question to him. It wasn't something that, that God said that they should ask. So, so we see another, in this first prophecy, in the second prophecy, we see the Jewish people are, are, are asking him about his behavior. And especially in the second prophecy, we see that they're asking without Hashem saying this is going to happen. So what's the meaning of, of the prophecy that is reflecting a question? Here, all the prophecies, the prophet that says his prophecy, here, Torah emphasizes that we're, that we're going to ask about it. So the answer is like this. This is connected with the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, that whatever Jew sees or hears is a message for him in the service of God. There are some things that weren't revealed for thousands of years until Baal Shem Tov came and revealed them in the teachings of Chassidus. But once he revealed these teachings, then you could see how this is something which is a, the translation of a verse in the Torah. And to sim- in other words, once Baal Shem, before the Baal Shem came around, no one knew about it. But once he revealed it, then you could say, oh, now I know what this verse means. So too, in regards to what we're talking about, that this is the translation of the words of the Torah. And this, this is actually possibly the source of the teaching of the Baal Shem, the Baal Shem how the Baal Shem knew this. How the Baal Shem know that whatever you see or hear is a message from God, it's possibly from this Torah. When the Jewish people saw that the Yechazel took two pieces of wood, they understood there's a message over here in regards to their service of God. And therefore they asked, what, this, what, is, what is this about? And so too, the Jewish people saw that Yechezkel wasn't mourning about his prophecy, about the destruction of Bishamigdash. They said to him, you will tell us what is this about. That's the nature of a Jew, that when he sees something, he knows it has, it's a message for him. They didn't say, oh, this is your personal thing. They saw this, they knew this must have a message for him, for them. So this is how we can see clearly how the teaching of the Baal Shem Tev, whatever you see or hear in, in his message from God in the service of Hashem, we see this clearly in the, in the, in the Aktor. So too, Reb, the Rebbe says regarding this Febreng. This Febreng, again, was in the 7th of Tevis, 1969. The Rebbe said like this, I didn't announce that there's going to be a Febreng in the Shabbos, and we already spoke in a Febreng in last Shabbos, and this, the Shabbos that the Rebbe was speaking, there was a, a um, four times a year, they make this event in Kronheim, so the Rebbe established encounter with Chabad. So the, um, so, so the, we already spoke to Prabhupada before about this, and nevertheless, something new happened, and things have changed, and that's what this Prabhupada has happened. What's the new thing that has happened? The people have written letters to me and asked that I explain um, or people have written letters and they're, they're complaining, how come that leading of Fabrengen? Um, so the event that happened, the new event that happened this week, it's on page 116, that, that uh, something very surprising, something unusual, that people managed to, to fly a very great distance and to reach close to the moon and they went, they orbited the moon, both the dark side of the moon and the bright side of the moon and they took pictures then they succeeded in getting, going back to the earth and to land in a um, exactly in the time and place that they planned to this event happened on Friday and on Friday you're supposed to read the um, 
Torah twice, of the Torah portion of the week, plus the Aramaic translation. And the reason for reading the Aramaic, trans- Aramaic translation is in order to understand it better. And that's why, if you don't want to do it in Aramaic, there's an opinion that says it's also okay to do it with Rashi's translation, because Rashi also explains it to him, instead of doing the Aramaic translation. But because of this event, there are some people which are very confused, and that disturbed them that they didn't do the Shayim Mikra, they didn't do the Chumash twice this past Friday, and they didn't do it with the trans- Aramaic translation or with Rashi's explanation. And based upon what we just learned, that everything you see or hear is a message from God, and you're sure of God, so too is it regarding this event, it's not enough that... Somebody in the Shiva congregating outside somebody, one of the homes that had a TV, looking into the house. Want to see, see what happens? We didn't even understand what was going on. Apollo 11 or Apollo 13, I think. So, um, this event... Is, people shouldn't just look at this as a challenge. That means that there's something that could disturb them from serving God, and they have to ignore it and prevent it from disturbing them. But rather, we should use this event to, to add to our service of God. But first of all, let's address why it disturbs some people. Why do people get disturbed when they heard that the, that the, that the spaceship orbited the moon? Some people wrote a question to the Rebbe, they asked him in a letter, doesn't this contradict the wording of the, of the Kishavana? In Kishavana, we say, I cannot touch you. So, so we can't touch the moon. And here the people are, are, are um, able to reach the moon. So, although Nebuchadnezzar says right now, people haven't yet touched the moon, they've just gotten close to the moon, but t- as time will continue, that says tomorrow or the next day or another year, they'll reach the moon too. Now, automatically, we have to change the language of the Kishavana, people are asking Rebbe. And if, need to, and if we need to change the language of the Kishavana, then the whole thing, of the, everything we're doing, basically, is in question. So the answer is, as I said, with Mechilas Kvedaim Haram, which is the expression that means, uh, by first asking forgiveness for your, for your, for your, for yeah, forgiveness, your, your, may I ask forgiveness from your highness? Kvedaim Haram. I, you don't know at all the meaning of the words of Kilshavan. It doesn't say in Kilshavan a person cannot reach the moon. That it, that there's, a, there's a sentence. I'm standing here and dancing before you, and I cannot touch you. That means while I'm standing on the earth and dancing before you, that's when I cannot touch you. With this dancing on the earth, doing Kilshavana, I'm not able to reach the, reach the moon. But it's clear that even after, even now, the people have reached close to the moon when uh, a Jew, an old Jew, he does the, the little dance that we do with Kishavana, we raise our bodies three times uh, with our, on our feet. By that exercise, you cannot reach the moon. So this question, as it says, is a question of ignorance. And not only is it a question of ignorance, it's a question that's the opposite of logic. Um, we don't find anywhere in the Torah that it says a person cannot reach the moon. Or the stars that are farther from the moon. It doesn't say anywhere you can't reach the stars either. But there still could be those who look at this event as a challenge that could disturb them from their service of God, and they need to overcome this. The Rebbe says this event indicates the great virtue of man's intelligence. They could accomplish such a, such a great thing. He's able... Um, but that this this event, people will say, people are saying that this 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 causes a challenge. They 
they can now start feeling, look at the look at the power and the might of my hand, look what I've done. And this could disturb a person from davening. When you daven, you're supposed to think about before whom you're davening, before whom you're standing. You're supposed to think about the greatness of Hashem, the lowliness of man. And in this event, you see the greatness of man, the greatness of man's intelligence. So this could disturb a person's prayer when he's supposed to think about denigrate man's virtue and think about God's greatness. And nevertheless, it says, a Jew who is able to overcome this, and he, he affects himself that this shouldn't disturb him, and he does whatever he's supposed to, and he does the Shtayim Mikra, he reads the Chumash before Shabbos, as he's supposed to, the Aramaic translation, and he davens. That's how some people look at this, listen, it's a challenge, and I'm not going to, I'm going to ignore it. But the Rebbe says, it's, the truth is, it's not enough to look at this event as a challenge, as something you have to overcome. You have to use this event itself as something that can propel your service of God. <laughs> After this event, there could, you could meditate about the verse says, how manifold are your works, O God? How great are your works, O God? That meditation about that verse, you're able to think about this in a lot greater way, and automatically it strengthens your faith. It also strengthens your, your understanding of divine providence governing the world every moment. How does it strengthen your faith? What is faith? How does it, what does that have to do with this event of the, of the Apollo 13, you said, reaching the, uh, orbiting the moon? How does this strengthen faith? The answer is like this. Faith is possible that our faith is in a way that is just hovering over us. It's not something which is internal. It's something that really affects us. That's something that, that, that we really concretely and tangibly believe. It's something that we know in some periphery of our mind somewhere. And there's a need to cause that our faith in God to be something that's eternal, internal, something that's part of us. It's something that affects the way we think, affects the way we speak, affects the way we act. So the more we know about the greatness of God, the greatness of God's creations, and the, the, how manifold God's creations are, how great God's creations are, um, because whatever exists is only because God created it, so the more you see the greatness of God's creation, the more you recognize God's greatness. So, specifically, what we learn from this is a couple of things. Number one, regarding man's intelligence. Until this point, ever said, people estimated man's intelligence to be less. They thought that man cannot do this. They, they thought man can never reach the moon. On the contrary, people have brought proofs according to logic and according to science that it's impossible. It's impossible to go so quickly because the, uh, the spacecraft may break or burn. And now people could see the greatness of man's intelligence that's able to do, accomplish such a, such a thing. So because we see the greatness of man's intelligence, that, that highlights the greatness of Hashem who created man to have such intelligence. Another point, on the other hand, we also see how a person cannot rely on their intelligence because um, just like these people have seen that what they thought till now was not true, so it's possible as time goes on, the more their, their minds will develop, they'll, they'll discover that what they think now isn't true either. So, so this also, besides, so it tells us two things. It tells us how great man's intelligence is, and therefore how great God is, and also tells us how not to rely on your intelligence. That's the first uh, general point. Second point is, um, when you're thinking about the greatness of Hashem, the Torah says, lift your eyes to the sky and see who created these. It says in the Torah, 
I lift my eyes to the sky, I see the moon and the stars that you have made. And since we're able to lift our eyes higher, since we're able to look farther, higher, we're also able to see how we're able to understand the, the second half of the verse. Who created this in a higher way too? As Ramam says, how do you reach love of God? How do you reach reverence for God? When you think about God's wonderful creations, you see God's infinite wisdom. And Chassidus explains that the more you understand the greatness of creation, as we see in the billions and billions of creatures that there are, you see more of the infinity of Hashem. It's possible, um, you only, by looking at what there is, you know how Hashem is beyond all that. So although, logically, if looking at this scientifically, logically, there's no comparison um, in, compar- in comparison to God's infinity, there's no difference between a billion and one. But in our feelings, there is a difference. We do feel the difference between billions and billions and one. So, w- when we think about God's billions of creatures, and God's beyond the billions of creatures that he made, that gives us a more of an appreciation for God's greatness. Logically, if God's infinite, so he's God's more than one, or God's more than a billion, if, if infinity is equally higher than one, to being higher than and and um, and higher than than a billion, but in our experience, when you say that God created billions of creatures and God's beyond those billions of creatures and He's infinite, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot. It's not more meaningful to say God's beyond billions than to say God's beyond one. Although logically, infinite infinite is equidistant from both. We see clearly you can't compare a king over a small country to a king over a great country. And so to regarding the king of all kings, Hashem, it's a whole different thing. So what we get from all this is as follows. This event is not a contradiction that can uproot the whole building of Judaism. On the contrary, this event is something that brings us to a greater recognition of God's greatness and strengthens our faith. And we can learn... And this also teaches us something else. When Baal Shem said... Whatever you see or hear is a message from God, we're supposed to learn not just a general thing. We're supposed to look from the details of, uh, of the event that happened and learn from the details of exactly what happened, what you're supposed to learn in your service of Hashem. And so to regarding this, this event, they're going to go in later on the Fabrengan and going to discuss not just the fact they reached the moon, but the details of how they reach the moon, etc., as we shall see, that it's not that Al Shanta's teaching that whatever you see or hear is a message from God is not just a general message, but it's a um, it's a it's a message that um, about every detail that you see. Let's do one more part, and we'll stop for today. Um, <laughs> that was now focusing on the announcement that he made that there's going to be a Fabrengan. That originally he said it won't be a Fabrengan. And things changed because of this event, and the Friday, because of the Friday vision to the moon, they've changed, and they've said it's going to be a fabrain. They've said it's not the opposite of the truth. Why is it not the opposite of the truth? First thing sounds like it was going to be a fabrain, and then there was a fabrain. We find a similar thing in the Torah portions of these weeks. As the Altar of the City to live with the times, learn a lesson from the sections of Torah that you're reading at a time, and live with those sections of the Torah. We find the last week's Torah portion that Yosef first told his brothers, send one guy back, and he will bring back Benjamin, and you will be in prison. And that's what he did. He locks him up for three days. But then he said, one of you will be imprisoned, and all of you should go back to bring Benjamin. And except for one, except for Shimon. 
So this change is not considered the opposite of truth because it's a change for the good. So Yosef, as Yosef introduces words that I fear God and therefore we decide to free them all and not to, and, and not to only um, uh, and not to only free one of them. So too regarding Binyamin, first Yosef said, the one who I find the goblet in his possession will be my slave. And then when Yehuda approached Yosef, Yosef changed that. It's not considered a that change um, is not considered a weakness. In his previous words, a king, the Torah says, is someone who, if he, if he commands a mountain to be uprooted, the mountain must be uprooted. But this is not considered a change or a weakness in his words, in the, in the words of a king, because it's a change for good. So too, the Rambam says about a prophet, that if a prophet says something for the negative, so then he's not considered and doesn't happen. If, if a prophet says something negative will happen, doesn't happen, so it doesn't mean he's not a true prophet. Because God is merciful and God can change things for, for good. So a change for good is not a contradiction to a, um, a, 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 a true prophecy. And even after the change for good, the, 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 um, the prophet who sets in Bible happens is still considered a true prophet. And so to the says, God is a even though there's an announcement there wouldn't be a Fabrengan, but since it's a change for good, it's not considered something which isn't true. Okay, we continue. Mr. Shem. Zakaburuch. Hmm. Any questions, comments? All right.